Welcome back to the Smarter Business Finance Podcast. I'm Rob Mishloff. And I am Jennifer Casey. And today we're going to talk about the difference between consumer financing and commercial financing. So one of the things that is underestimated in life and in business in general is the cost of things we don't really see, like risk. Mm. And in fact, in the business world, there's a lot of things that carry more risk than they do in the consumer world. And we know that because prices are higher in the financial markets. For instance, the, the insurance market. Mm. It costs us to have essentially what is renter's insurance, uh, insuring our office and so forth. It's between our, we have, we have two small offices and those offices cost a total of $300 a month to insure versus when I was a young adult and I got renter's insurance on my apartment, it cost almost nothing. It, it was $32 I was going to say, yeah, I think mine was $30 and I, my homeowner's insurance is a lot more than that. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but businesses carry more liability. Mm-hmm. They carry more risk. And so the costs are higher. And I know we were, we were talking earlier about the cost to insure a car for a consumer versus if you're doing it for a business. Right. For example, a consumer to insure a vehicle is a lot less versus a commercial business. We have that all the time where we have, um, let's say a sole proprietor has been on their own insurance um, and the vehicle's registered under themselves and then they realize that they need a commercial policy because they're now making this, this side hustle an actual business. Um, they are very, very shocked over the cost once they upgrade to a commercial policy. They're also very shocked over the type of limits that they need to have because you are more susceptible to people suing you, like you're saying, a higher risk. Mm-hmm. It, it just it costs more to do business versus to be a consumer. Right. Like my personal car costs about $100 a month to insure. But if I was to go get a tow truck, depending on what state I'm in, it could be $800 a month or more. Right, right. So that plays in well to what we're going to talk about, which is why commercial financing costs more than consumer financing. And a lot of times our customers are pretty surprised because the rate that they expect is far different than the payments they end up actually getting, right? Exactly, yeah. One of the things that we were chatting about the other day was Really, it does come down to risk. When you think about a consumer financing a vehicle, you know, I think about my first vehicle that I financed, which I, I did not finance a car when I was 18. I was when I was probably in my mid-20s. But still, when I, when I purchased that vehicle, I kept that vehicle for years, several years. And most consumers keep vehicles for several years, or if they're giving it back to the dealership, they're getting another one. It's, it's a very low risk to finance someone's vehicle. There's not a lot of default with that. And if there is a lot of default or if the person has, you know, less than attractive credit, they're going to get a way higher rate on it because the risk is higher. But when it comes to a business, businesses don't keep their vehicles as long as a consumer does. Why? They're upgrading or they're expanding or they're defaulting. They're closing their business. So that's a risk that that lender then takes on a regular basis. Okay, let's dive into that a little bit more because it's almost hard to see how much more risky it is 
for a business to finance a vehicle than a consumer. But if you think about it, if I'm a parent and I don't have a car, I can't take my kids to school. I can't go to work. But if my business shuts down, I don't have any more need for a dump truck or a tow truck or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And of course I'm going to stop paying on it. And if I repossess a Honda Civic, there is somebody within three blocks that's going to want to buy that Honda Civic. If I repossess a Kenworth dump truck, I have to find somebody that wants to buy a Kenworth dump truck and that applicant pool is much, much smaller and so it's going to be more difficult to unload that particular piece of equipment. And a large percentage of defaults are due to breakdowns. Once that vehicle is repossessed, there's a high probability that it's broken and is no longer going to have the value it had on paper. So you bring up a good point. You know, you have to think with a commercial dump truck, you're generating revenue, right? You're making money off that. Sure. You're, you're hauling rocks, you're hauling gravel, you're, you're hauling something. What are you hauling in your Honda Civic? Nothing. <laughs> a gym bag. Right. Some water. Right. And in order for you to just live your life, you have to drive that vehicle. And most of the time as a consumer vehicle, you're driving that thing during the week, at night, and weekends. For a commercial vehicle, it's really for that company to make business. So the chances that you're going to not make money while having a vehicle for your business is slim to none. I mean, the, the majority of our lenders, I would even say 95% of our lenders, won't finance anything unless it's actually revenue generating. So right. something to think about. Yeah, but you, you made a good point in there because the hauling rocks, right? The, the typical dump truck has several tons of dirt or rock in it and it's gonna be highly likely to have some maintenance issues. And the lender has to factor in the risk that if the borrower cannot pay to have it fixed, and whether it's a, a dump truck or for example, a semi truck, that maybe it's going out into the oil fields and it's not driving on the road, right. it's driving over all sorts of things that's gonna break that bottom if it's not the correct type of vehicle and right. if they don't have the undercarriage properly set up um, or it's a drill truck that's literally breaking the earth, you are going to have breakdowns. And a lot of times we find, we come across folks that are buying a 50, 60, $80,000 piece of equipment and they don't have $10,000, $20,000 set aside in reserves just for repairs. Mm -hmm. And many businesses, and banks know this, and lenders know this, many businesses are a breakdown away from bankruptcy, and that has to factor in to pricing of payments on commercial equipment. Because remember, it's not just your own risk you're paying for. The lender only sees you as a pool of applicants. In fact, it's called a static pool. And they know that based on certain criteria, the risk of not getting paid is X amount. And a computer tells them that much. And they have to factor in their costs to get the money to you, meaning their cost to borrow the money, their cost to do the paperwork, and then their cost taking into account 
how many applicants out of 100 historically are not going to pay them back, and they have to figure out what payment to charge to encompass that risk and still make a profit, because without profit, America stops. Right, right. And the majority of small business owners are very small. So it, it does, the 80-20 rule is definitely the 80-20 rule in regards to small businesses. 80% of companies out there um, are making 20% of the money. And again, 20% of the businesses are making 80%. So of that amount, I mean, the majority of our clients that are even, that we're talking to have under five employees. So if you have a vehicle that you're making a payment on on a monthly basis and that employee is no longer with you, I mean, the even finding a good employee is pretty hard to find. So if you don't have that revenue coming in on that vehicle, now there's a chance of you not making that payment that month. So one of the things about that we talk about with risk is the risk goes down when that company gets larger, right? Right. They have five vehicles, they have 10 vehicles, they have 20 vehicles. You know, that's part of the, a credit factor that we look at. And it's a lot more attractive to a lender when you have a, a staff of 50 people. Someone's going to pick up pick up the ball and keep running with it. Someone is going to, you know, grab that truck or the other vehicles are making up for that revenue that's lost with that. Versus if you have only two or three trucks, that's a huge hit if that employee isn't coming to work. Let's say they, they get sick and they're out of work for two weeks with the flu or three weeks, that's revenue for an entire month that they're out at that point, so. COVID can get pretty expensive. Yes, very high risk. Mm -hmm. So let, let's talk about that risk and what it actually looks like getting granular, getting into the, the real nitty gritty. Because I'll give you an example. For car lending to the general public, to, to just consumers, typically the default rate overall, or the number of people that don't pay for their cars is 2% or less. In fact, anytime it approaches 5%, that makes it into every newspaper because it means we're in a big recession, the whole world's falling apart, people can't pay for their cars. In commercial lending, a 5% default rate, it means it's Wednesday, right? <laughs> it, it really does. And in fact, it depends on the portfolio because depending on the business profile, default rates can get pretty high. And I'll give you an example. We have a lender that we work with that does very challenged credit deals. They're the, some of the highest risk deals that we do. And that lender did a site visit to, to see our operation and see that we were somebody that they really felt comfortable sending them business. And one of the things that was brought up during that conversation was, well, you guys have a 24% default rate. And we almost fell out of our chairs. Right. We, we couldn't believe that it was that high, and she looked at us and she said, no, that's pretty good for, for this tier, for this credit tier, Right. that's lower than what we expect. We typically see around 30%. Why do you think our rates are so high? You, did you think we were greedy? No, we're trying to run a business here. So in fact, again, it's not that anyone's out to get you most of the time, sometimes they are, but in general, you should shop around, absolutely shop around and see if you can get a legitimate better deal if right. you get a lousy approval. But more often than not, when you get an approval that looks really yucky, looks really icky, and you, you don't know how it could possibly be that high, it's just the actual risk of the transaction. And it's not 
some guy in the back saying he doesn't like the way you look on your driver's license. It's numbers. Mm -hmm. It's based on this amount of time in business, based on this industry, based on this type of equipment, and based on this credit profile, what does the previous pool of applicants look like and what numbers does that lender have to charge in order to keep being a lender next year and the year after right, that. Right, right. And it's one of the things that I do tell our account managers is that keep in mind that every quarter, a lot of our lenders review their transactions and they look at who didn't pay, why they didn't pay, and they look back at the credit portfolio and when it was originally submitted, what it looked like. What did that credit look like? So if someone has a credit profile that fits all these delinquencies, they will then start rescoring the deals moving forward on a quarterly basis. So I know, for instance, I was looking at a deal this morning and one of our reps was just shocked. He's like, I can't believe that this client got this approval. I'm so bummed. I want to go back and um, I think we should ask for a, you know, a better payment for them. And I said, well, let me take a peek at it. And I said, okay, you are not, you're only seeing one thing on here. You're only seeing the score. When in reality, the client had $140,000 in installment loans and only two years time in business. So he was financing everything on his personal self, nothing on the commercial. So they're looking at that saying, this gentleman is you know, running this business with six figures worth of, of installment loans of debt. You know, and that rep was like, well, he's got no credit card debt, he's got no this, no that, but at the end of the day, that ends up being a very high risk. If anything was to happen to that client, it's on their personal credit and they're carrying six figures. I was actually very impressed that the lender even gave the client an approval. I said, do we have bank statements on file? Do we have anything to show good cash flow to make the transaction stronger? And he said, no, I'm like, that might be a good thing to see. That way the bank will feel a lot more comfortable about the situation. So um, I do think it's yeah. the nitty gritty about, you know, they, these banks are getting very granular on how they are approving transactions in general. So it's just something to keep in mind. But absolutely, the risk goes up significantly when it comes to businesses versus consumer. Yeah. And on a personal note, getting this business off the ground, I went six figures into personal debt and I was this close to bankruptcy. Having a profile like that, even if you have a good score, because I had a good score too, but I was this close to filing bankruptcy. And when I was that close, no one was gonna give me any more money. And anyone who gave me money at that point would have been crazy. Right, right, and I tell people that, and I also tell our clients that when they come back to us and they're like, well, I bought after my second transaction or third transaction, because I have a pay history now, I'm gonna get a better deal. And I said, well, yeah, but it also, now the risk goes up. If you haven't been paying on it for long enough, now they're just seeing that you're taking out all this debt but you haven't necessarily addressed the debt that you have. If you're making revenue, why don't you pay down a few things? That way you don't look so over leveraged at that point. You know, the biggest thing is obviously cash is king in business. Hang on to it as much as you possibly can, but also try and pay off some of the items that you have at least in the first 12 to 24 months or take a shorter term before you're coming back and asking for an additional 200, 300, 400,000. Again, it can, be, it can be very risky. I always say live conservatively when you're first trying. One of the things actually, um, Jackson and I were talking about this on a recent podcast as well. Give us your end all be all list and then let's go through and let's rank that. What is the most important piece of equipment on here? What's the second most important piece of equipment and your third and your fourth and what have you. Let's try and get just number one for right now. Let that make you some money 
and then maybe get that second one and then maybe get that third one. So right. it's definitely just a, a different way to try and run your business as well. And, and lenders appreciate that. They really do appreciate clients that are a little bit more conservative when they're when they're coming out the gates, at least in their first year, uh, excuse me, first five years of, uh, of running their business. Yeah. And I'm going to add something because I don't think, and I know we've mentioned it on prior episodes, but I don't think it can be stressed enough that one of the differences between consumer and commercial financing is not just that commercial financing in general costs more and that that can be a surprise but so on the consumer side most of the times in, unless it's unless you're financing a home or an education you're not financing something that's going to make you money right and so on the commercial side you get the best deal you can reasonably get, but you don't do too much crying that the payment isn't exactly what you thought it was gonna be. If the payment's a couple hundred dollars more than what you had planned for, if that couple hundred dollars makes a difference in your P&L, in your profit and loss statement, like a significant difference, you don't have a good business, mm -hmm. right? If, and uh, one of the examples I use most often is dump trucks. And the reason why I use that is because it's one of the easier businesses in terms of not that it, not that it's easy to run a dump truck business. And it's easy <laughs> to understand. Yeah. It, it, yeah. yeah, it's easy to understand. The the you can draw a straight line from the loads they haul to the profit and, and most have the same numbers. And so and for example, and I know I know it's gone up because the fuel prices have gone up and for some other reasons. But in general, over the past 10 years, if you talk to 100 dump truck owners and say, uh, what are you going to get paid from using the dump truck, assuming like a triaxle dump truck, right? They're going to be making, on the revenue side, about $85 an hour, right? And if you're running it 50 hours a week, uh, some, some are going to be less, some are going to be more, but we'll just call it 50 hours a week. The numbers shake out that you're going to see about $18,000 a month in revenue. And then there are going to be costs. And those costs are going to be fuel, four grand a month. So we're at $14,000 a month. They're going to have insurance. That's going to be $1,000 a month. Mm -hmm. Now we're at $13,000 a month. They're going to want to set aside a thousand bucks a month for maintenance. So now we're at $12,000 a month. And you take away the payment and that's about the profit, right? So let's say they were expecting a $1,500 payment, which would give them $10,500 a month, and they get really shocked. They end up with a $2,000 payment. That's not a bad day mm -hmm. at all. And if you are driving somebody else's dump truck, making four or $5,000 a month, and you can double that, in that income, which by and large is what we see happen. This is not fairy tales. This is what we see every single day. Regular basis, yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. The payment just doesn't matter. And I have not, in the entire time we've been in business, and we've done, I don't know how many thousand transactions, I have not seen an instance where a few hundred dollars or a like it's not even usually a few hundred dollars. It's usually less than that. The, the distance between what someone thinks their payment should be and what it actually should be. And, there, and most of the time there is a difference, right? 
uh, because if you're used to, if you're, especially if you're a startup business and you're used to consumer financing rates, it can be an eye-opener to get into a commercial loan and see, well, why are the payments this high? But I have never seen an instance where it made a difference in their business. So you make a great point, and I wanted to bring up an um, example of what had happened to me um, just about two weeks ago with one of our clients. Um, and I may have spoken about this on, an, on a recent podcast as well, but I find it so interesting because there was a um, person who had gone in and, and gotten a different quote for um, paying cash versus financing mm-hmm. because there's, there's built-in margin in there that these vendors are, are putting in. So you have to think that, and it was about $30,000 on a $200,000 invoice. So they were upcharging them $30,000 to use financing, not their financing, a finance company. So that's like 15%. Yep. Just yeah. on top of it, just to, here's a fee for you using a finance company. So I always find it so interesting when people are like, oh, I'm going to a dealership and I'm getting 2% or 3% from Honda financing or BMW financing or Toyota financing. Yeah, absolutely. It's in-house financing. The margin is built into the vehicle itself and a little bit into the financing itself. But if you were to say, hey, listen, I'm paying straight cash, straight cash, what kind of deal can you cut me? You have way more wiggle room. So if you're still negotiating cash, like there's definitely a win with that. So essentially what you're saying is that there's no such thing as free, which is the first rule of economics, right? right. You take economics in college, they tell you, it's actually the name of a chapter in a famous economics textbook, that there's no such thing as a free lunch, right? Because if whether I'm Caterpillar or Kenworth, and we're gonna lead with, you know, most of the large equipment sellers lead with 0% rates or 2.9% rates, but the truth is there's no such thing as free. They have to pay to borrow the money that they're going to lend so that you can buy their equipment and they have to underwrite the risk. Mm-hmm. And so in order to do that, of course they have to inflate the price. Absolutely. So there's actually a company that I used to work for before that they would have specialty deals for vendors and dealers where they would essentially, it would be 0% with that lender. But when reality, it's not 0%, the manufacturer or the, or the vendor that was selling the equipment is the one actually paying for it. Why would they do that? Why? Because their job is to sell equipment. So what makes the equipment easy to sell? 0% financing. It pushes up sales. So at the end of the day, it's not really 0% financing because someone's going to pay for it, right? Right. In that sense, it just happened to be the manufacturer. And a lot of the times, it's built into that. And that's a lot more on the consumer side. I see that as well with, oh, well, you're coming into our dealership, our brand, our whatever. You know, we're able to get you a good deal. Right. Fair enough, but nothing is free. It's not, like you're saying, it's not actually 0%. Good point. So thanks again for tuning in. And we have a big ask because we've spent some time brainstorming episodes and we have a lot of episodes in store for you. But it would be even better to do episodes based on what you want to hear. So if you go to the podcast page on our website, www.smarterfinanceusa.com, there's a form to fill out where you can submit a request for an episode and we'll do the episode and even send you an email to let you know when it's live. Love it. And feel free to comment on this podcast or any of these videos that we have. They're also uploaded on YouTube. Um, Give us a comment below, like it, let us know what, again, you can pop there and give us ideas to talk about different things. 
And um, yeah, we really appreciate you tuning in this season. And once again, my name's Jennifer Casey. And I'm Rob Mishloff. And we hope that if you're going to do something, that you do it smarter. <laughs> <laughs>